There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Welcome to the Eternity Archives, an actual play podcast where we try out different TTRPGs, that's tabletop role-playing games, and role-play archivists who attempt to maintain balance within the multiverse. My name is Bappy, and my pronouns are they, them. I usually play real Daedrakel, who is a teethling and a big dork baby, but today I will be GMing or uh, narrating in the diceless game we're playing today called Henshin. But before we get into that, let us introduce our co-hosts. Uh, hi, I'm Dorka. My pronouns are she, her. I play Zen, who is a big, tough lizard woman who likes to hit things and just generally be kind of violent and rowdy. And I'm very excited for this one today. Uh, really interested in seeing how the diceless game goes. Hi, my name is Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the adorable human office lady from plain old regular earth who loves to bake and help everybody out and make sure that Rill is awake and wearing shoes at least some of the time. (laughs) <laughs> and that Zen doesn't hopefully murder uh, the wrong people, at least. Um, and I am also very excited for this. This is both Diceless and like the theme of Henshin are things I know very little about. So this is going to be a learning experience for me. And I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm so excited. Okay, quick question. Linda likes to bake. Does she like to get baked? I don't think she knows what that means. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. I don't think she has any idea. She's pretty chill. Her vice of choice is definitely margaritas. Okay. And maybe at one point we need to find some space weed for Linda to partake in. <laughs> Now, uh, I'm very excited. I think I might have alluded to this in the previous episode, but this is kind of a genre that is one of my favorite things. I'm very excited for this. And I am also super excited about this because we also have a guest this arc who is my friend, Ember, one of my friends that I, I talk to a lot. I mean, role play a lot and and do gay stuff together a lot. Not like kiss, but like role play. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so, Ember, why don't you tell us about yourself and your role-playing experience and uh, give us a bit of a tidbit uh, on your archivist. Uh, sure. I'm going to try and keep this to a uh, not half an hour because otherwise I would be here <laughs> forever. Uh, hi, my name is Ember. Uh, I go by they, them, and she, her uh, for my pronouns. And I am introducing uh, Hope Jaeger. I have been playing tabletop RPGs since college. I had a bunch of friends who, who introduced me to it. And uh, my first character was a three... A D&D 3.5 rogue who didn't have an ability score above 13. Oh no. So that was that was not I'll, I'll say the best introduction. And you quit TTRPGs forever. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think about it, but I didn't. But we, we played a lot of games after that, so I've been playing for over a decade now. Just a 
pretty much any game kind of floats my fancy. I play a lot of Pathfinder, we play a lot of D&D, but I've played other ones like World of Darkness. I've, I've done some of both Land New. Um, I've, I've GM'd plenty of games. I ran a Boy Problems, which is a Carly Rae Jepsen-themed cyberpunk heist one shot based on the lasers and feeling system and it's a phenomenal evening if you get the right group and the right soundtrack together but the character i will be playing here is actually a character that i've played before in a very very good campaign that my friend joseph ran back when we were post-college but before we had moved all around the country um so it was in person uh, i joined in halfway through and i ran an android character i don't i don't want to get too much into to that setting because again if i did i would be here all day but i ran i <laughs> I ran a character who was like a, a courier, like a mail delivery person who was more or less under somebody else's thumb for, for most of the game. And then eventually she kind of, thanks to the group, she she broke out and, and realized her own self and her own desires and wants. And she, she became much her own person. And the class I used was a custom class that was based on Mirror's Edge, because I'd been playing that a lot at the time. So I, I cooked it up together with my friend, and I, I put it in the game, and we played it, and Joseph absolutely hated me for it, because it was not super balanced well, because you we didn't... the game. Yeah. Uh, with your he, gay Mary... Cur- Mayor, Mary? <laughs> gay male cor- career. <laughs> Definitely punched my way into and then out of a prismatic sphere at some point. Anyway, we, we fixed the class some for later ones. I haven't played it since. It was mostly just an experiment. But the character I, I really liked. So at the end of the game, she decided to kind of become a planner traveler and go planes hop all around the multiverse. How convenient for us. Yeah, and now she's she's shown up here at the library and she decided to work for them and now she can't leave. So exactly Welcome to the club. <laughs> exactly how she gets out. That's gonna be a fun a fun idea. Um, but yeah. it's it's good to step back into Hope's shoes and, and gloves. I haven't done that for a while. And she is a character who is extremely near and dear to my heart. So I'm I'm really excited to to get back into that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty excited for that too, just because it's like I wanna say while we have all kind of fallen back on tropes we personally like to play for these characters, uh these are for the most part new characters we've made for the podcast. And of course we've, you know, played them for I don't know, however many episodes at this point. But it, it'll be kind of cool that you're like taking an older character and, and uh re- kind of repurposing her for uh, a podcast medium. So that'll be that'll be pretty interesting. I actually had a, a lot of trouble deciding and I don't want to get into it here because I know we're going to get into it in a couple of minutes whenever we talk about the colors and stuff but it's interesting playing a character who has already like gone through a full story and had a full story arc in you know in other respects that that would have been the end of her run her series um, but I felt like that there was definitely more I could tell with her so I wanted to bring her back for this kind of an experience where you know it's a new world and it's new it's new friends and new allies and and but she's got a lot of a lot of experience already under her belt and a lot of stories that she could already tell that's so cool she can be our mom <laughs> she's not she's not a great mom uh, oh, okay. there was a team mom on her team who was much better at it than she was well i guess linda's the team mom but like yeah, dibs you know there's two moms then one is uh, a badass android and the other uh likes to bake and possibly get baked but we don't know yet so, okay, one more thing before we get right into it. It's going to be our question of the episode, and it's going to be a little bit more abstract, but kind of leads into what we're doing today. What color would you guys say represents you, uh, the player, and why? Okay, so this is an easy one for me. 
Y'all are laughing because you can guess it, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. She's going to be like yellow. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no surprises here. Uh, the color that would best represent me is blue for many reasons. If you come to my house and open up my closet, everything in there is blue, turquoise teal just all sorts of shades of blue also like blue is a very calming color it's very representative of like water which i feel like a deep connection to i i'm basically that song the um uh i'm blue (laughs) that that song is my life but also if we throw back to our last chapter wheel of time i've always thought of myself as part of the blue aja of Aes Sedai. we talked a little bit about that sort of stuff in our last arc but it's basically a cult of okay cults maybe not the best word but it's a um It's an order of like social justice witches. So that's just another aspect of um, the blue in my life. Very cool. I love that you were always kind of a gay social justice witch. Yeah. Even if you didn't recognize it. (laughs) (laughs) For me, um, it's also pretty easy, which is that the color that I feel like represents me would be purple. Because I feel like purple is like sort of like the color I associate with magic and and mystical stuff. Um, I am a huge lover of all things fantasy. I am in my personal life a witch slash pagan somewhere in that spectrum. I really like all sorts of magical themed things, um, especially unicorns, which I'm sure will come up this episode. And I also just think purple is a color that can range from like very like soft, soothing lavender to like deep, dark, mysterious, like hyper inky purple. So um, it shows a lot of variation and can mean uh, a lot lot of different things but um, regardless it's sort of the like mystical magical color so yeah purple's got a lot of depth thank you yes i agree i think we wore purple at your wedding and blue at mine so yeah yes we did in fact (laughs) (laughs) all right ember your turn i'm gonna go with green because that's my favorite color no i have i have more actual reasoning than that um (laughs) i've always associated green I was in scouts as a kid, so I ended up doing a lot of you know, uh, camping trips and, and outside stuff. And I I run to help keep in shape. And um, running has kind of been a very specific sport for me because uh, I'm I'm a pretty decent endurance runner. I'm an awful sprinter. But my dad ran in college, and he was the assistant coach on the cross country team whenever I was in grade in high school. So even before I was in those particular schools, I I always ended up going on little runs, you know, with him. You know, back when I was like ten, you know, it was a mile or so, and I was dead by the end of it because I was ten. But it was still very much our thing um, that he enjoyed doing with with myself and, and my brother. So I've always associated running with. My dad, who's a pretty darn good dad. Yeah, I, I grew up in, in Louisiana, um, so there were ample forests around or, or trails um, for me to just go out and, and pick a spot and just kind of start going and then, you know, turn around whenever I felt like I was getting tired. So to me, green has always been kind of that very calming, soothing associative color that I just identify with well because it, it connects to one of the favorite things that I can really end up doing, both just for myself and to, you know, have some quality bonding time with my dad. Aw, that's so sweet, though. I love that. That's really nice. Yeah. So this question is kind of hard for me, even though it was my question. I was actually also going to say green, not because... Ah, stolen. I know, I'm sorry. I wasn't copying you, I promise. Not because it's, like, my favorite color. I'd say my favorite color is probably, like, purple or orange. But at least in kind of the uh, Power Rangers, like, 
Super Sentai sense, and I realize I, I'm saying words that people might understand. I will explain those uh, in a bit, I promise. Green tends to kind of be the spunky, like energetic, kind of happy-go-lucky one um, who has like a very like youthful energy. Kind of vappy-go-lucky one? Oh, yeah. That's my stream name. Don't go to that Twitch because I don't stream anymore, but yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, and not to like toot my own horn or anything like that, because I don't necessarily think of myself like that. But I feel like a lot of people have told me that I, I kind of give off that vibe where I'm very like cheerful or very kind of endearing and, and welcoming. So I guess, well, I mean, what what would you guys say? When you think of me, what, what color do you think of? I think of orange. Really? Okay. I think of blue, but I think it's just because I've seen you wearing a lot of blue. Oh, I don't even notice that. <laughs> That's very perceptive of you. I don't know if that's true or not, but it might be. <laughs> I also see the kind of the, the cooler colors, blues and greens, some purples. Okay. Interesting. That is very... You know what? If you guys ever want to have a, a fun chat with your friends, just be like, hey, what color do you think I am? And then just get really deep into it, you know, like really introspective. I don't know. If I do that with my friends, they're just going to be like, blue, moving on. Blue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Hmm. All right. <laughs> so now to get into it, as I said up top, we're going to be playing the tabletop role-playing game Henshin, which is written by Tim Batiuk and Sam Kusick. And you can find more information at caveofmonstersgames.com. Quick thing, Mr. Tim, if you ever listen to this and I butcher your last name, I apologize. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, but Henshin is a game that's more focused on like the storytelling aspect of TTRPGs. So Henshin does not use dice and instead gameplay is actually facilitated through the use of tokens that you will earn through certain turns. And in order to perform heavier turns, you spend the tokens. But before we get too deep into that, it's kind of time for a nerdy history slash culture lesson from Bappy Sensei, that is me, because it is important to understand what inspires Henshin and how that plays into the world of the game itself. If you want to skip all of the rules and rambling, very understandable. And if you just want to get right into the character creation slash discussion, just jump right to 50 minutes and 45 seconds. And if you're hyped to listen to play, skip to one hour and 30 seconds. Uh, I apologize in advance because I am going to be throwing out a lot of words folks may not have heard before, and I'm going to try to break it down to be as digestible as possible. Yeah, we will be the uh, audience surrogate for this because I know I personally have very little experience with this sort of subject matter. So if you say anything confusing, I will ask you. Awesome. I was just going to say I also have uh, no experience in this particular subject matter because I'm the only child who was alive in the 90s who did not watch Power Rangers. It's oh, me. Shit. The only one. To get right into it, I think Ember was about to say, to start off with, but what, how much experience do you guys have with Power Rangers and kind of this genre of like Japanese superheroes and spandex? I also actually didn't grow up watching Power Rangers. Like what? I knew, I know, I knew it was a thing, but my parents didn't let me watch it at the time because, you know, violence. So I got into it later actually, because some roommates and close friends of mine are very big fans of Power Rangers, and they watched it growing up. So I think at one point, like, almost all of the series were on Netflix, and they were doing a big rewatch of it 
of the whole thing from the first series from, from Mighty Morphin all the way up to, I think at that point it was just RPM because they had, I think they had that break between RPM and, and Megaforce because RPM was, you know, maybe going to be the last one ever. Um, technically it was RPM and then Samurai, but you know, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, just Samurai <laughs> wasn't on Netflix, so I didn't get to watch it. Don't watch Samurai. <laughs> They were going back through all of those, and I showed up just to kind of start watching after they finished Lightspeed Rescue. So I showed up in time for Wild Force, which in retrospect was probably not the best one to start on. Uh, but Time Force came after that, and that was that was pretty good. So my experience just comes from having watched, at this point, most of the later series. What about you, Dorka? I know you said you don't have much experience, but like, I guess specifically, have you watched any Power Rangers and how much? Yeah, I don't have much experience, but I do have a little. I did Taekwondo when I was a kid and they would do like birthday parties and there would always be little Power Ranger minis on the cakes. But also our Taekwondo studio would have sleepovers like once a month. And when all the fun was over and they were trying to get us to sleep, they would always put on like one of like five movies. So those five movies I have seen like a hundred times. And those were basically the Ninja Turtles movies, one of the three ninjas movies, but also the, uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie with the uh with Ivan Ooze. The, yeah, the Ooze man. <laughs> so I've seen that movie a lot. I never really watched a lot of the show on TV, but uh I did like that movie a lot and because of the the cakes, we had some of the little toys. I remember we uh, would take them to the beach and like put them in sandcastles. And we lost Billy to the ocean, and that is a tragic day oh, that no. my family still talks about. <laughs> oh no, Billy! <laughs> More recently, a few years ago, I was reintroduced to some of this by Bappy. We marathoned the first half of a common Rider show, the uh, mm-hmm. the Dancing mm-hmm. Fruit Ninjas one. Yes. The Dancing Fruit Ninjas Pokemon Battle one. <laughs> Dancing Fruit Ninjas Pokemon <laughs> Battle. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I really like just the silly, campy nature of it. I did not go out and watch any more on my own, but I do appreciate like the genre even though I have little experience with it. Yeah. All right. So to no one's surprise, as a kid, I loved Power Rangers, watched it, had the toys. Even when I was quote unquote too old for it, um, you know, in later grade school years, I was still watching it. People would like give me shit about it. I think I started watching a bit of Time Force, I want to say, but I never actually finished it, which maybe I should. So when I was in high school, when it was kind of that Disney era Power Rangers, they would be playing it a lot. And then I just kind of had it on the background. And I'm like, man, this stuff sucks. This stuff's lame. But uh, of course, I ended up watching all the reruns of everything pretty much. Even though I don't remember most of it, I have seen most of the Disney era stuff, except for Operation Overdrive. And this is kind of Maybe a funny story. You know, honestly, as, as somebody who knows something about Operation Overdrive, that's, that's probably for the best. So for those that don't know, Power Rangers is not like an original American thing. It's actually an adaptation of a Japanese series called Super Sentai. And so when I was kind of a teenager, I was watching a lot of like anime subs and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I can find like the Japanese Power Rangers and start watching that. And so I watched the first episode of the Operation Overdrive Japanese equivalent, which is called Bokengers. So I watched that first episode. I thought it was fucking great. It was awesome. For some reason, I just never continued with it. And then I was like, okay, well, let me watch Operation Overdrive. 
And then my world was completely shattered because I did not realize, did not know until that moment when I beheld it with my own eyes that they reuse fight footage from the Japanese series into the American series. Not all of fight footage because sometimes they film different things, but my world was shattered. I was so broken after that. I was just like, oh my God. So I actually know a little bit about this. There's a documentary on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us and it's about like different toy franchises. And yeah, basically that's what they said there is that it's pretty much all just reused footage and then they just film like the high school bits. Yep. It's kind of funny and silly that I didn't know that until I was like 16 and my world was destroyed. <laughs> but but then I continued to watch whatever was on Disney anyway. So your world was destroyed, but like only for a couple of minutes there. And then it was fine. I don't know. I, I'm 29 now. So it's been 13 years and I still remember the exact moment. Yeah, I never recovered kind of just carrying that with me through the rest of my life. So, okay, so now to kind of get into my explanation of the genre for people who maybe have a little bit of understanding or not quite the encompassing understanding of the genre of, as I said before, Power Rangers is based on Super Sentai, and that is what Henshin is directly inspired by. Those two are superhero shows of the uh, tokusatsu genre. I don't speak Japanese, so I, I'm probably going to say that like five different ways and uh, butcher each time. I apologize. Now, what the heck does all of that mean? So tokusatsu is a contraction of the phrase tokushu satsue, which means, I believe, special effects filming. And it refers to the live action special effects genre of film and TV. So for instance, like Godzilla, Ultraman, the frickin' Italian Spider-Man, uh, Power Rangers, <laughs> all that live action stuff with the special effects, that is tokusatsu. So to kind of go back to the Power Rangers thing, Power Rangers is the American adaptation of Super Sentai. So what does that stuff mean? <laughs> so Super is just the English word Super. And then Sentai is the Japanese word for squadron or task force. Because I believe the very first Super Sentai series was actually like they were working for the government or something. I don't actually know too much about that much, much older tokusatsu series from like the 70s, I think is, is where it's from. So kind of going from that, Henshin is a tabletop role-playing game that is based around the concept of a group of people, uh, usually young adults or teenagers, and they fight bad guys by transforming into colorful matching spandex suits, which is where the name Henshin comes from, because Henshin is the Japanese word for transform. So tokusatsu means special effects filming, and Super Sentai is Japanese Power Rangers, and they will Henshin, which means transform. Is everyone with me? <laughs> yeah, I think we're all on the yes. same page so far. All good. Okay, cool, cool. So now it is a very tropey show because honestly, it's meant for children. And especially in the past few decades, there's been like a very big pivot towards focusing on toy sales. And I don't want to get too, too much into it. But basically, there's sort of generations of these series. You know, you have like the 80s or 90s or whatever. In Japan, these eras are actually divided up by which emperor is in power or ruling or whatever the time. I don't know the Japanese political system. I don't know if it's like a name only thing. But you might hear occasionally the phrase uh, Showa era. 
And Showa era is like that 70s to early 2000s, late 90s. I I don't know the exact time period. I've heard that in reference to Godzilla. Yeah, all that. Yeah, Showa is just the emperor at the time. And so that's kind of like that era of, you know, movies, film, whatever. And then after that is Heisei, which is early 2000s until not last year, but the year before. And so now we're in the Reiwa era of tokusatsu, Super Sentai, Kamen Rider, all that stuff. So fun fact for you, for some reason, I knew who the Japanese emperor was and a little bit of Japanese politics because of my investment in Super Sentai and Kamen Rider. And then just a quick thing, Kamen Rider is a similar show to Super Sentai. I won't get too much into it. But yeah, so those are series that are kind of linked together because they were both created by the same person, Shotaro Ishinomori. He was pretty influential in inspiring a lot of bigger names and whatnot in the kind of anime and manga genre. So Power Rangers and Super Sentai are very tropey shows, meant for children, toy sales, blah, blah, blah. Each series generally kind of has its own themes and original characters, but in Power Rangers, they will kind of like bleed over characters from series to series. So like there's kind of like episodes where they pass off their powers to the next season. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember like the white Power Ranger from Mighty Morphin. Wasn't he originally the Green Ranger or am I making that up? That's correct. Yeah. Tommy Oliver has been in a lot of Power Rangers series. I know some things. Yeah. So like the White Power Ranger had like a much different outfit. And that's because even though it was all considered different seasons of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the White Ranger suit was actually from Die Ranger, whereas the traditional Mighty Morphin Power Ranger suits with the the diamonds and the dinosaurs and whatnot, that's actually from uh, Zeo Ranger. So instead of making original series for each Super Sentai series, they kind of found different ways to implement them in the existing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers canon, I guess. So how do they reuse the fight scenes if they're taking stuff from different series? Uh, That's a great question. I actually don't know the answer to that. In some cases for Power Rangers, for the later the later seasons of Mighty Morphin, I believe they got the suits shipped over from Japan and then had to film new footage. Because like even, you know, the, I think the, the first couple of seasons are mostly footage that they took from the Japanese version. And then as, as Power Rangers started getting popular, as they wanted to keep the show going, but they didn't want to like do the, the Sentai thing where they change out the cast every year, they eventually had to start, they had to start filming new footage with the suits and and you know the the props and stuff and they had them shipped over so they could do that you know eventually they kind of realized well this isn't going to hold out forever so they started doing the yearly new series run so that way they could keep getting new footage and use the new suits and use the new the new sets and everything that japan had already done man you know someone had to be pissed about that like this isn't what i signed up for actual directing <laughs> I just wanted to just wanted to redub some stuff well i mean at the bare minimum they still had to direct the high school scenes with them out of uh, out of costume so yeah just so people know like how different power rangers and super sentai can be Zeo Ranger, they were actually people who were like protectors of humanity like centuries and centuries ago. They were not teens with attitudes. I think they were actually adults, like at least in their 20s. Whereas in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, it was like aliens and they were teens with attitude in Angel Grove. They were just like kids, which is funny because it's like you can definitely see this cultural stylistic difference between like Japan versus 90s America, which is like, I don't know. After school specials. Yeah, like Saved by the Bell and and all that stuff. Like Neon. Every episode had a moral and 
Yeah, well, actually, right. that's, that's just every Power Rangers series, yeah. Yeah, and, and to a degree, Super Sentai also has that. I mean, I, I know the biggest difference between, you know, a good one to illustrate how different the Sentai footage could be versus the Power Rangers one is RPM as a series takes place in, like, post-apocalypse Power Rangers world where a computer virus has wiped out most of the Earth's population and there's basically, like, one safe place left. And then you go to the, the Sentai footage, which I think is Goonger. Uh, yeah, go on, Jer. And yeah. it's like, there's cars, and the cars have eyes, and they talk to the people, <laughs> and it's like, light and fluffy, and you know, it's yeah. not taken very seriously, and then all the monsters look weird, and they turn that into dark apocalypse. So sometimes the American one is more serious, and sometimes the Japanese one is more serious? Yeah, it's interesting. I want to say this is also dependent on possibly the different phases of uh, when the Super Sentai was, was created. Because there was even, like, I think it was Dino Thunder, there was a episode where, like, they watched an episode of, like, the Japanese equivalent, like, in the episode, and they're like, man, this is so stupid. There's, like, all these stupid gags and stuff like that. I guess in Super Sentai, they still kind of go with the very, like, silly shit, whereas I want to say in Power Rangers, they kind of try to go for a more serious tone. Sometimes the footage doesn't quite match up, and you can tell. So the takeaway here is that Power Rangers is professional fan fiction kind of in a way (laughs) some of the series converge more like you know i mean like i said my my favorite one is rpm which is post-apocalypse versus cars with eyes yeah so some of them hedge closer to it in terms of just overall storyline and characterization and some of them hedge farther away from it but in most cases the theme because like you, you can't really change the the zord models or the suit looks so they they have to keep it close in some ways um but it, it really just depends on the individual series. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, in the more recent Power Rangers series, they've actually kind of skipped around some of the Super Sentai ones because it's a cultural thing. They love trains in Japan. And that's not like an, oh, oh, Japan is so weird. It's just like a thing. Like, they just love trains in Japan, kind of like, I guess, in America, you love firefighters or police cars or whatever the heck. We do not love police cars on this podcast. No, we do not. Sorry, disclaimer. (laughs) We do not love police cars in this podcast, but like American children as a whole probably kind of like police cars. So there's actually a series where the theme is actually trains. Like, that's what it is. They they use train passes to transform. It's very silly. But it's like one of the kind of favorites. Of course, they kind of had to change that for Power Rangers. You're localizing for American audiences. But yeah, as we kind of detailed out there, Super Sentai Power Rangers is very like tropey and silly. The series itself, like that kind of story beats are actually pretty much the same throughout each each series. It's very reliant on those tropes. But kind of to expand on those tropes, each color kind of represents a type of character personality. So for instance, red is always the leader. So that's like the red stereotype usually. The blue stereotype, or trope rather, they tend to be like the cool or reliable or like experienced one, I guess. Uh, Pink is usually the girl. And that really is like the trope of pink is they're usually the girl. And then like, I go on and on about the different colors, but like yellow members tend to be like spunky and, and stuff like that. Kind of a little weird. TLDR, Power Rangers, Super Sentai, very, very tropey, silly. Each character or each episode, while there's like an overarching plot, it also revolves kind of around a monster of a week, which is directly related to a certain character or maybe a few characters. So this, that is sort of the spirit of Super 
Super Sentai or Power Rangers. Yeah, I've got nothing about tropes. Like, they're popular for a reason. Yeah, this idea that media with tropes or media that is predictable is inherently bad is very frustrating to me because there's lots of media that's predictable and full of tropes and sometimes both that I really enjoy. Talking at you specifically, J.J. Abrams. Don't forget <laughs> at me. We'll fight. Like, uh, my hot take is that if your plot twist has zero lead up and is literally only thrown in there with no context whatsoever, just to surprise the viewer, fuck off. Like, that makes me so mad. Like, it's just so frustrating to be like, people think like the peak of like good writing is, oh, like throwing your viewer off or reader or whatever off, you know, their game because it's so surprising. And it's like, well, no, like, how is that a good thing? thing you know how is that good writing like anyone could just be like twilight let's say i don't i don't twilight's so fucking bonkers i can't even like it turns out that that edward was actually a vampire and a werewolf the whole time yeah like ah. you, you, yeah like you could have thrown that in and and it would have been tangentially related because oh like edward's been living in in the pacific northwest and it you know it was definitely possible for him at one point to be aware of but it's like there's no lead up to that at all like it was it would have never been hinted at if they just like threw that at you in like the middle of the second book or movie or whatever like that would have just been like stupid bad writing Mm -hmm. okay so after all that rambling thank you if you've made it this far if you skipped ahead honestly that might have been for the best uh so for the actual game itself henshin is meant to be a game played in an episodic format to kind of replicate the feel of a super sentai or power rangers uh series where there's an overarching plot but then every episode is tied to a specific character or, or characters but if you read the book this is something that is specifically called out this is not meant to copy an existing series it's meant to be like a creative uh, party type, improv type game to just kind of like hang out, chill, have fun with, and like not worry about, can I make a better Power Rangers so-and-so or whatever? Like, it's very much not about that. That is not in the spirit of things. Uh, so the focus of this game is on the storytelling with the narrator. And the goal is to roleplay your character in alignment with like the color you chose. Each color has its own playbook. And there's like specific characteristics that are called out. And I will get more into that in just a moment because that's kind of like the gameplay mechanic aspect of it. So when you're starting to set up a Henshin game, most of the work involved is going to revolve around a group collaboration effort to come up with a squad concept. As we mentioned, different Super Sentai Power Ranger series, they have like their own themes like you know some cars others are dinosaurs or dinosaur knights or uh, ninjas so kind of to match that in henshin you want to collaborate as a group and coming up with a squad concept the actual rules for this in henshin everyone writes down two simple concepts and the group votes the winner is the first squad concept and in the next three most popular concepts get shuffled and one gets randomly picked this becomes the second squad concept um while it would have been cool if we could like discuss it and stuff like that on the pod just go just so people can hear what it kind of looks like for like time constraint reasons you know we kind of did this ahead of time so what we actually did was i asked everyone to give me two concepts and then i just spun a wheel to like (laughs) come up with with what we got so i guess like if you guys want if you can like introduce the two concepts that you offered the concepts I offered were aquatic animals and swords. And I offered those concepts because I love aquatic animals and I love swords. 
Gorka is a very um, straightforward person. I'm a simple woman with simple pleasures. <laughs> uh, similarly, the concepts that I offered up were unicorns. And if I'm remembering correctly, gemstones? I can't remember if I did gemstones or space. I think you did space. Okay, I take it back. It was unicorns and space. And I did unicorns because I love them. They're my favorite by a lot. Um, Sorry, you're going to hear me talk about unicorns a lot on this show. (laughs) And I said space because it's just like a good theme for a superhero team. Like space is really cool. And there's lots of different ways you can take that. You could go planets. You could go aliens. You could go like Star Wars um, and do like space fantasy. I don't know. There's lots of different things you can do with space yeah this is a a wookie swords super sentai series no i'm just kidding (laughs) i just want to add that i i thought about saying dinosaurs but i know that there have already been like several dinosaur yeah but they sell they sell toys so that's fine that's (laughs) people love dinosaurs (laughs) It's, it's all there is to it my concepts that i put forward were pirates and neon because I have a continual lifelong obsession with Tron, which is unfortunate given what's happened to the franchise over the years. <laughs> and I think I put pirates because at the time we, we pitched these, Bappy posted some like transformation montages and stuff from whatever the pirate series won. So I will admit, I just kind of had pirates and that sort of styling on the brain whenever we were talking about this stuff. But I like both of those quite a bit. And I honestly wasn't sure what we were going to do with Neon if it got picked, but that was Future Me's problem. And as we all know... Kind of like Tron and Tron. Yeah, we just, you know, future me can deal with that whenever we get there. But for the time being, present me is going to have a ball with it. So those were our six concepts. We had swords, aquatic animals, unicorn, space, pirates, and neon. A very eclectic (laughs) mix of things to choose from. Going to give you a moment to be like, all right, what, what could it possibly be? What is the coolest combination of two of those things? <laughs> and amazingly, we went with unicorns, unicorns. You're correct. That is yeah, the yeah. combination. Just, oops, all unicorns. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, sp- I spun a wheel. So we got pirates and then we got unicorns. <laughs> Yay. I wasn't too disappointed because I realized no matter what two concepts came up, I could have swords anyway. So it's true. <laughs> so really, that was just a bad suggestion. I should have suggested dinosaurs. I think if swords had gotten picked, we just would have all had bigger swords. It's true. Just up the size category by one. You would have just like swords just would have been a main motif. <laughs> swords everywhere. All right. So other things that are involved with the forming a squad aspect of the game, it's things like figuring out power sources, figuring out adversaries, weapons, mechs, transformations, principal and civilian life. And, you know, normally we would just discuss it now and kind of go with it. But because pre-planning, yada, yada, all that stuff, we're not going to be discussing most of this. And then some of this is actually not going to be super relevant to our game because our setting is we are getting beamed into a world to help save it for a temporary amount of time. So things like civilian life, well, that's not really... Like, we could have found a way to finagle it in, but it's also just like... It's not what we're focusing on. Yeah, at at that point, it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm just creating NPCs that no one cares about and we're never going to see again. So it's like, well, that's just wasted effort. And then for, like, principle, like, we could have a sort of Henshin-specific principle, but kind of like the way the Eternity Archives and the library works is like we already have kind of our own principle like we don't need henshin to kind of determine that and then most of that other stuff like i said 
I kind of gave these guys like an outline of like what I want to do and what, what I kind of expected them to prepare. And then they just sort of went with it. That's pretty much all the setup that involves the group. It's really a lot of just like group collaboration, talking with everyone, pitching ideas. And then once all that is decided, most of the work is on the narrator to come up with a monster and uh, guiding the players as a GM is want to do. On the player's end, they still need to come up with the last steps in regards to their characters. So namely, that's going to be like the color playbook. You just decide which color you want to be. And then if you guys take a look at the sheets, which you can take a look at in the links that we will provide, it's all pretty like self-explanatory. Like it walks you through it. It's very simple, um, really easy to get into. Like it, this game is absolutely not at all intimidating to jump into. This character creation makes Monster of the Week look hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this book is maybe, like, the actual quote-unquote gameplay instructions portion, which includes, like, the overview, the narrator stuff, and the player stuff is, like, maybe 50 pages at that. And then, like, half of that is actually just, like, written examples of, like, oh, here are these people who are playing. And then it's just, like, giving you examples of that. Like, this game is very easy to get into. If you want to just have, like, a fun party game kind of roleplay experience with maybe someone who maybe is a little shy or is intimidated by games that are very mechanically strong, I would recommend this at the top, even though we haven't played it yet. I just think it's it's very simple to wrap your mind around. Yeah, this is sort of like the Nega Lancer. Yeah. <laughs> like, instead of being, like, kind of serious and very, very nitty gritty and you really need to use like these like built-in resources henshin is like everybody's having fun we're all having a good time drop in drop out it takes about 10 minutes to set up a character if you like really think about it as a group and otherwise if you're just like coming up with whatever it takes like two minutes <laughs> it's very straightforward in a way for me this is kind of like out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. like you know there are no dice you don't have to roll anything character creation is very very simple because you only have to decide one or two things and the rest is all like improv and narration and i am glad that vappy gave us some like prep and details and stuff at the front end because i think like going into this and having to make it all up on the fly would be pretty difficult for me oh yeah for sure like when i was kind of doing monster of the week prep you know looking stuff up trying to figure out kind of how to be a good keeper I've read threads where people are like, like, you know, you guys have hopefully listened to our Monster of the Week game or are familiar with the rule set. It's very simple. It's 2d6. Most of it is improv. There are some mechanics and numbers, um, but it's not like D&D &D or Lancer where there's like all these stats and all these skills and you roll these dice and minus this modifier and all this stuff. But on the flip side of that is the mechanics kind of guide you like they're hard to get into, but it's like you don't have to necessarily come up with like a move on your own. And Monster of the Week facilitates that in a way, right? Like it's like it takes away some of that mechanical stuff, but there are still moves and whatnot to guide you. And they get pretty in-depth into like what your role successes would be, right? Like if you rolled less than six, you fail. Find a way to explain that. And then Henshin kind of peels that back even further where there are moves, which I'll get into in a second here, but it's not a role to succeed or fail. It's just you just do it and then you find a way to make it more interesting. And kind of like what Dork is saying, like more improv and less rules it kind of depends on whether that's easier or not for you. That is dependent person to person. And these are kind of like two opposite spectrum type things, as Ziva said with like Lancer and, and Henshin. Uh, my point is 
this game is rules light. And I guess to amend my statement from earlier, I wouldn't necessarily 110% vouch for it as a super beginner friendly game unless you have friends who are kind of willing and maybe more extroverted who are more willing to kind of lean into that role. This is a game I would recommend if you had like a lot of drama and band friends from high school who are like the over the top acting kind of weirdo type people, whereas Dungeons and Dragons would be more like, I don't know, what what's a high school stereotype that would work with Dungeons and Dragons? Chess club. Yeah, yeah, chess club. Yeah. Yeah, because like, as someone who's played a lot of uh, TTRPGs that have dice, like in a game like this, it's kind of up to you to decide whether you succeed or fail based on what's more interesting. And I think there is like, I support it completely, but I think there is a unique challenge in that. And I think a game like this really does come down to you have to have a good group, you have to have like a lot of trust at the table, because you kind of have to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that D&D is still sort of the classic and and sort of the dominating game in the scene, not necessarily because it's better, but because you can take it either way. It's very adaptable to the group you're playing with, which is that you have the dice to sort of like keep everyone honest and to provide a lot more structure. Um, but also you can do it as character heavy as you want. There are definitely people who like almost LARP during their D&D games. And then there are people who only play by the dice. And so I think there's a reason that it's been so enduring and that dice heavy games in general have been so enduring. There's a lot more of these like modern indie games that are diceless. And I hope we get a chance to showcase a lot more of them on the show because there's a lot of really cool systems out there that aren't just D20 or D6 based. Yeah, I am glad that we're doing this after we've done a whole bunch of other games where we have kind of gotten a feel for our characters and our dynamic together, because this would have been a really hard one to start with, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And now I'm coming in here to completely ruin that dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) So as Dorka mentioned, there's only like a couple things the players really have to decide once they've picked their playbook. And then the rest of like the playbook sheet is a reference for the kind Kind of moves or turns you can take. So gonna bring it back to Monwe because that's the one I've personally had the most experience with GMing and also that was the one I last led. In Monster of the Week, you had moves. So things like investigate a mystery or kick some ass. Those were all moves that any hunter could use. But then like you had specific playbooks like Zen had the unquenchable vitality from her Monstrous playbook or Linda had two and in from her, what was he, a spooky? Was that what it was? Yeah, spooky. Yeah. So like those are specific ones to their playbooks. Henshin is kind of similar in that where like each playbook has access to like these general moves that you know anyone can use and then some of them are specific only to that color or playbook. So to get more into that, there are four different kinds of turns dictated by a color's playbook. And when I say turns, I mean like moves. So that's kind of like turns with a capital T. So the four different turns are special, heavy, regular, and light. Regular turns are things you can do without any cost and you're not going to generate any tokens. Some of these are like can take action or leave themselves vulnerable. But as I mentioned earlier, blue is kind of like the experienced or reliable one. So in regards to that flavor of that trope, one of the regular turns they can take is pinpoint an adversary's weakness or point out the obvious to someone else. Um, Because they're kind of like the intellectual, maybe more strategic character there. 
Light turns are moves where you gain a token, um, and this will be different for each playbook. So getting right into that, heavy turns are moves where you spend a token. So these are going to be like big impact turns. So like being able to transform to fight the bad guy. If you don't have a token, then you can't transform. So you can kind of already see there's like this ebb and flow of how this token resource management dictates the pacing of what your characters can and cannot do. And then the last kind of turn are special turns. These are moves where each playbook has just the one special turn. All the other turns, they have like kind of a small list to pick from. Special turns are just the one. Those are if you like fulfill a very specific requirement for that playbook, your next heavy move doesn't cost a token. So using blue as an example again, theirs is when you accept the support of someone stronger. So if they do that in the fiction, then their next heavy move does not cost a token. And that's kind of like, there was like a kind of a blue focused episode or session. That's kind of like the pivotal moment for their character, maybe. So that's kind of like why that has more of a impact and kind of a higher reward for making that character development. I did notice the special turn isn't the same for all of them. Like some of them do have special turns where instead of getting a next heavy move for free, it's they give a token to someone else. Oh, okay. Wow, I should have read all the playbooks. I just assumed they were all the same. That's bad on me. See, that's even cooler in my opinion. That really is... Uh... But yeah, really, they're just like big character moments. Yeah, they're really playing into kind of what each trope is and what character they are, which I think is very neat. So yeah, I could get way more into how turns reflect the pacing of an actual Super Sentai episode, but then it would just be another three hours of me talking and like dissecting my favorite episodes of Super Sentai series. And I'm already making this hard for Dorka. For $8,000 a month, you can have that podcast. Yes, yes, (laughs) please. (laughs) So yeah, I will resist for now. Or if you ever want to talk about it, just, you know, hit me up on the Be Gay Roll Dice Discord server, or you can hit me up on Twitter. Always happy to yell about that kind of shit. So now the other thing that the players kind of have to do to finish, quote unquote, making their characters is that each playbook has a section called tasks. And these are objectives or things that the players work towards or the characters work towards. So Blue's tasks include uh, calculate possible courses of action, play it by the book, prove that brain beats brawn, all those things that dictate their character tropes strength, sort of. And this leads into another mechanic, which we won't really get into just because of what this concept itself facilitates. And this mechanic is called raises. So at the end of each episode, which is each session, players vote on which character best fulfilled their chosen tasks for the session. Whoever gets voted the best gets a raise, which is basically a power up of some kind, um, either like a new weapon or power or in character benefit, or if the character maybe reached the end of their kind of character arc, the player can retire them or like maybe swap them to a different color. So a lot of rambling to get here, but at least in regards to character creation, that's pretty much it. That's why the top of the episode was just me talking about Power Rangers, because the character creation and everything involved in it is very, very simple. If we just want to distill it, it's really simple. You pick a name, you pick a look, and you choose a connection. And then that's kind of tied into the civilian life portion where it's like they have this life outside their superhero stuff. Um, but a connection is like they have a connection to an NPC. But like, like I said, we could do that but trying to get you as listeners 
invested in like an NPC that we're gonna what have for like four episodes or something and like at least in my opinion it would feel very shoehorned in so it's like I have cool NPCs that well I think they're cool uh I have cool NPCs and then you know if these guys decide to imprint on them then that's fine but it's not like a requirement so we're skipping that and then there's just a reference section for each playbook's turns and raises so now we can get to the fun part which is we will discuss or rather these guys will introduce their characters and walk through all the steps of what we needed to make their characters suited for henshin who wants to go first dibs yes okay go for it diva <laughs> sorry um i'm very pumped because linda's theme is very very silly so for Linda, I chose orange, which is the color of a character who's sort of an unconventional hero. The typical spot that they sort of occupy in the team is orange is the one that they recommend that you use for a rotating guest star because orange can kind of be anyone and typically they're only in a single like episode. But I chose orange because I think Linda really is an unconventional hero. Um, when you hear about people going on adventures, they're almost never like middle-aged office ladies. And so for me, that like really spoke to Linda it's also supposed to be like a very like humor heavy role so I was excited about that because I'm a pun goblin so so I'm very excited about where that's gonna take me for orange the special turn is when a color treats you like you're an important member of the squad they gain a token um so it'll be really oh, interesting so sweet. yeah I like that um I think probably that is gonna happen to Linda maybe more than it would like a typical like guest character but I'm still excited about it and so for the orange suit it's going to have a bunch of like orange sort of like starbursts on the sort of forehead of the helmet as well as a sash, a silk sash that's this like shimmering orange. For her weapon, Linda is going to use a very elaborate rapier where the blade looks like a unicorn horn or a narwhal horn, depending on how you slice it. So um, the other thing that's very important is that Linda's mech for this is a glittery orange narwhal because narwhals are just sea unicorns. And the narwhal can shoot like sparks out of its horn and it can use its like glitter to shine and reflect and move light around. So amazing. What are your uh, tasks that you pick? Oh, my tasks. That's right. For my task, I want to defy expectations of who can be a hero and explore humor and the momentary spotlight. Very Linda-esque. I love it. Yes, I think so kind of a fun fact. Orange is not a very typically used suit. There was one in one of the Showa era shows, maybe a couple. And then for like decades, there was never a standard orange ranger. So it's interesting that they kind of uh, were like, shit, we don't really have an orange trope. Let's just go with it. Actually, to, to build onto this trivia tangent, SPD features the orange ranger in precisely one episode. And it is a temporary morpher that is accessed by the team's science wizard, Cat, who uses it to, you know, transform and help deal with the episode and then ultimately decides that she doesn't want to be a full-time ranger because, you know, she had fun in the suit, but she before is being more behind the line. So I'm guessing they took that as the primary orange concept of someone who is here, uh... shows up for a little bit fights off some enemies, contributes for, you know, one episode as a guest character, and then ultimately has to exit their role for personal reasons or family or job reasons or something similar. That makes sense. I'm guessing that's where they got the orange concept for Henshin from. All right. So now who wants to go next? I can go next. 
Zen is using the red playbook in this game. Red is typically the leader, but also like very hot-headed and reckless, which I think works for her very well on a few levels. Her tasks that she's working on are charge ahead recklessly if no one is depending on you, and explore self-realization and eventual leadership, which is kind of something she's been working through very gradually anyway. So her weapon, she's going to use a cutlass in keeping with our pirate theme that's a, a short broad saber or slashing sword, slightly curved. It's pretty much the typical pirate sword because it's tough enough to hack through like ropes and canvas and wood, but also short enough to use in relatively close quarters and is a little easier to use than a rapier or short sword. So it's more effective as a close combat weapon than a like full-sized sword would be on a pirate ship. And so her cutlass has a white and blue Damascus pattern on the blade, giving it a shimmering wavy motif that almost seems to move. Yo, that's sick. And Zen's mech is a salamander. So in mythology, salamanders are typically associated with heat and fire, even though in reality, salamanders are amphibious and spend a significant portion of their lives in water. And I think the duality of that ties in really nicely with the Zen. She's definitely the fiery one, or she wouldn't be the red. And back in our 13th age arc, she literally did some fire breathing. But on the other hand, uh, bits of her appearance do suggest that she has some amphibious ancestry, and getting some of that heat under control and finding balance is something she clearly needs to work on. So her salamander mech plays into that theme. It can spit fire, basically a giant flamethrower, and it can also suck in, inhale large amounts of water very quickly to create whirlpools, and then either spit out that water at high pressure or superheat it to create steam. Ooh. I gave this a lot of thought. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ember, you're up. Well, I don't know how I can follow that up, but I guess I'm going to try. For Hope, I actually had a difficult time picking between black and and white because white in Henshin is the color of of a a squad veteran, you know, similar to how it works in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's the ranger who, you know, went away or was presumed dead and then came back later, you know, having to deal with the side effects of that trauma. But I ultimately settled on black because while I feel like I certainly want to explore that part of Hope, given the shorter time frame of this game, a lot of what white has depends on establishing things like civilian connections and uh, backstory that everyone else knows about or is at least common knowledge within the world. So that wouldn't quite fit. So I instead went with the Black Ranger. The Black Ranger's focus is on strength and defending the other people that they have. They are someone who is generally considered kind of unflappable pretty laid back, sort of difficult to stir up into a frenzy. Kind of someone who who seems like they really have it all pieced together, even though they're kind of struggling with some of that inside. And that seemed to fit Hope pretty well. She's had a lot of time to figure herself out and come off of the adventures that she's had but ultimately there's still part of the things that she's seen and done, her adventures across the multiverse, and even events that happened, you know, back in, in her origin still kind of leave a bit of that mark. But I think she likes to she likes to try and put up a front even when those things bother her because she's spent a lot of time not around people and she enjoys the friends that she has now. 
Her suit design is, I, I kind of modeled it off of a pirate captain. Her top is more of like a long, kind of like a pirate coat that flares out into the back. And then the bottom parts of the inside where you can see it sort of transition into something more more shimmery and iridescent to sort of go with that, you know, magical unicorn theme. She's got a, a bandolier across the front, which just holds like, rather than bullets, it's actually small little twisted unicorn horns because on her, her gauntlets, her weapon is fists. She's always been a, a martial fighter. So she has combat gloves, which have powder cartridges that she can load up. And then when she punches something, it explodes. She can also fire spinning unicorn horns like like drill bits at her zord. Nope. You know, it's a giant robot. I know the Power Ranger word is Zord. I don't like that word, so I'm going to use the word Vex. Wow, okay, fine. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just just don't like that word. I don't know why. I just don't like it. (laughs) Have you tried having better word taste? No. (laughs) What does Zord, like, stand for? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm very confused about that. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you. It just, you know, it sounds cool and robotic. It does not sound cool. It, it sounds, sounds like, super <laughs> cool. It sounds 90s as hell. It sounds like someone tried to get to Cyborg and they forgot it. Like it's like the Tumblr like smudged ink on hand. <laughs> like now we're going to take our weapons and transform into Zords? <laughs> no, the Zords are just the Zords are just there. The weapons don't transform into them. Okay. See, I truly, I know nothing about Power Rangers. <laughs> Her giant robot is a shark, and I would love to say that I put as much thought into it as Dorka did, but I think sharks are cool, so we're going That's with the shark. That's all you need, really. <laughs> the shark itself has cool little glowy eyes. It can open its mouth to shoot a laser out of it. It flies, and on occasion, uh, it can spin around if it combines with the other mechs. They can they can do little cool combination attacks. So, you know, it's got all the usual shark gimmicks that you would expect. It fires lasers and, and can spin around like a whirlwind, you know, like, like normal sharks shark do. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, normal shark things. So, you know, I guess in a way, we kind of did get my, uh, my motif of aquatic yeah. animals. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, what, what are your tasks for Hope? Hope's tasks are to show your strength and explore duty and martyrdom. Ooh. Interesting. She's gonna fucking die. No, I'm just kidding. Or am I? It wouldn't be the first time. Oh, no. So yeah, that's everything. Everyone's characters. Um, obviously, Rill is not going to be a ranger, which is very upsetting because I think they'd be really into that. But yeah, let's just get right into playing, sort of. Are you guys ready? Heck sure. Yes. Yeah. It's been a few weeks since our last adventure in the... What is the Wheel of Time world called? Randland? Randland? Is it Randland? Okay, Randland. (laughs) How has Joseph been acclimating Ziva? Uh, Well, it's taking him a little bit of time to like fully understand a lot of the technology and stuff around him because it's super different than the world that he's from. Probably somewhat like Zen had to adjust, but I think Zen is a lot more of a go-getter than Joseph because I think probably what happens is like Joseph sees like a printer and he's like, ah, what's that? And Zen sees a printer. <laughs> and she, yeah, and she's like, ah, cool. <laughs> Zen is like, oh, cool magic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's taken Joseph a little while to adjust, but he has really come out of his shell. He's feeling much more comfortable. And he's also just finally, um, he's so relieved. Like there's a place for him in the library and he can be who he wants to be without having to worry about other people or the universe meeting out consequences that are unfair. So he's like, he's like slowly acclimating, but he's clearly much happier. 
Can he still touch the power? I don't think he can touch the power because I think that's really tied to that universe, but I do think he can probably do some kind of magic. That's cool. Unspecified magic that I will not think about the mechanics of for more than about five seconds. <laughs> yeah, he does some kind of magic here. And so he, he is happy that he can do magic without having to worry about the side effects of channeling in Randland. Or he doesn't have to worry about uh, ableist narrative tones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have adopted Joseph. I as in Bappy, not real. I guess what has everyone kind of been up to in the past few weeks i guess for hope did you ever decide how long has hope been with the library or has it been kind of like i think time is kind of weird here i think she's been here kind of enough to get a little bit into the swing of things and, and how it works um she spends most of her time in the library just kind of like exploring it because she loves to explore and she doesn't really get tired ever so she can just kind of run around literally all day throughout the various library rooms and 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 try and you know figure out who's here and, and what's going on and you know do all that super fun fact finding has she been on any assignments any archivist assignments I'm going to say no, because I feel like sending her on the first one with this group means that I can do that whole slight first-time jitters, and also, I don't know how this works, is it always like this? Which I think is is a very fun angle to play. Yeah. Has she ever run into this group as we know them on the podcast? Um, I mean, not on Other Worlds, certainly, but here in the library in their their downtime, I I think so. I guess it's ultimately up to to the other characters as to whether or not they've they've run into it. Um, but I think having a little bit of a pre-mission rapport might go well as well. She's certainly approachable. Um, and, you know, she, she likes making friends and, and talking to people, um, especially because, as noted, some of her travels can get pretty lonely. So if she saw one of them just kind of hanging out, she would definitely approach and, and try and make conversation and introduce herself. I feel like like Zen and Hope are maybe the most likely to have crossed paths because like Zen likes to do the warrior princess training shit and then Hope sounds like she's pretty athletic herself. So maybe they've uh, encountered each other at the gym and fought each other maybe <laughs> and sparred. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to ask this of all of our guests. Does Hope attend book club? <laughs> if she found out about it, she definitely would. Um, she is a... <laughs> this is out of context. She's technically a published author in her home world. I bet that her book is somewhere in the oh, library. Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like there's an infinite number of books, so maybe... And if Linda finds that out, she will have a book for the next book club. Absolutely. I imagine it's like, oh, yeah, this is Hope's first meeting at the book club. And it turns out that they, like, had just read Hope's book and were discussing it that meeting. And it's like, oh, hmm. And she's just, like, interested to see how everyone's, like, interpreting her writing. <laughs> it's, well, it's pretty funny because the book that she wrote was a biopic of the big bad of the campaign that she was in, where she, she basically wrote down more or less what happened from start to finish from the viewpoint of the person who tried to destroy the world. I say published, she didn't sign it as herself, and she, she made no indication that she was the actual author, but she published it before she left her home plane. Yeah, I think if, if Hope found out about Book Club, she would definitely attend. So sweet. I love it. What a nerd. So Linda was a little bit bummed that she didn't get to go on the last mission because she'd way rather like socialize with everyone versus hang back on her own. She did get to practice some of her knitting and she interspersed her knitting with push-ups while you all were busy solving Wheel of Time. 
solving with. <laughs> but since you all got back, she has been continuing on her path to um, become more of like a warrior. She wants to keep on working out so she can get powerful. And so she's probably been slowly getting away from like very simple stuff and starting to do harder stuff. I don't think she's like bench pressing yet, but I think she's doing more like weight reps versus just like, I'm on the treadmill. So Linda's like slowly dipping her her toe in the pool. Um, I feel like she comes along with Zen as much as she can so she can like look over and like see her form and try to do her best to figure things out so that she can be powerful like Zen is. I like to imagine like Rill told you guys about their Christmas stream where there was a buff Christmas Linda and also Zen who was not quite as tall as Linda or the same height and then I, I like to imagine that like this isn't the main motivation but maybe also inspired Linda just a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's her goal actually is to get buff by Christmas oh, okay amazing she's got like a year yeah she'll be buff Christmas Linda this next year excellent Zen after coming back from Randland, kind of took it upon herself to show Joseph around and kind of introduce him to stuff because she is from a world more similar to his than the rest of her friends. And since she's been around for a while, it's fun for her to not be the ignorant one for once (laughs) and just be like, look at this. Look, you turn this knob and it makes things hot. (laughs) So she kind of gets to share that like excitement of like technology. She just kind of sees it as accessible magic. I guess that is what technology is, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you think about it. Does Joseph teach Zen how to count? (laughs) Does Zen not know how to count? Did we establish that? We did in Monster of the Week. She knows how to count. She just doesn't know how many people lived in her city. (laughs) One, two, I don't know, a thousand. That's how numbers work, right? Is a thousand a lot? (laughs) She knows how to count, but once you get past like a hundred, it's kind of uh, tough from there. So she kind of, she kind of holds his hand for a little bit, guides him around, uh, sword fights him a couple times. She's still doing that. And the rest of the time, you don't know where she is. Yeah. Why was she late last episode? You've never told us and I want to know. Yeah, you don't know. Fuck. (laughs) Can I roll a dice? (laughs) (laughs) Linda, as the office gossip, has now made it her mission to find out where Zen is all of the time. I think Rill and Linda have like have secret meetings without Zen is like, hey, have you seen her? Like, has she like disappeared recently? Like, I'm trying to like track her. I sent Dumpy after her. There's just too many doors in this place. Yeah. They're knocking on uh, Desi's door. Like, we need to borrow a whiteboard stat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they're just like, "Uh, yeah, I have no idea where, like, where is she going? Like, do you think this is an evil Zen that like replaced her and actual Zen is, um, we left her somewhere? Oh my God. Did we leave Zen somewhere? Oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like they're definitely meeting over lunch and trying to figure out what the deal with Zen is. (laughs) She's still teaching her sword classes, which she's not a great teacher. She's marginally better than no teacher at all. (laughs) But only marginally. (laughs) Yeah. She knows how to like, she's quite good with the sword, but like teaching people in a productive way is not a skill she has mastered yet. Is she one of those people who's like, I'll teach you and then you get it wrong. She's like, you're too stupid to teach. (laughs) She like kicks you behind 
behind your knees. Like, <laughs> I feel like Zen's actually a lot nicer than that. But <laughs> yeah, I think Rill. I don't know. Rill should probably be doing something to like better themselves, kind of like how Linda is doing with training and whatnot. But I don't know. Like they might they would attend quote unquote sword class to watch mostly because they don't really want to do physical activity. <laughs> kind of something I've been thinking about because they've had to be a human the past couple arcs. I think they would maybe try to use their wings a little bit more in, in the library and not like take their extra appendages and whatnot for granted. I was trying to figure out a way where like why is it they don't use their wings as much? So I, I came up with the lore reason from their world and the lore reason is that so there are people who are just like born with wings. Like it's just like a thing. It's just like a genetic thing. But then it's like okay well why don't people with wings just fly around and maybe this is kind of dark but the reason for that is because that could possibly be too dangerous and powerful people just like fly around do what the fuck they want so actually you have to have a license to use your wings wow bappy makes it dark <laughs> wow <laughs> every episode you're like sorry for making this depressing here's a thing about real <laughs> <laughs> i sorry real and then everyone else so actually at birth you kind of get your wings sealed away a little bit and then you, you can like learn to fly and whatnot but to like actually fly in public you have to have a, a license and that's just kind of what they're used to they do they have their wing license do they have their driver's license i'm gonna say the answer to both of those is, is no so they're just not used to using their, their wings but then it's just like oh there's no laws in the well actually are there laws in a library there are I think there are probably, like, suggestions. I hope so. Okay. There may be, like, secret, unbreakable library laws of some kind that, that we haven't found out about yet because we haven't tried to fuck with a multiverse. <laughs> I feel like most of the laws are, like, go out on your missions. Don't fuck it up, please. <laughs> please. There are no cops in the library, so. Okay, good. Yeah, no. Do not do a murder. <laughs> but if you do, don't get found out. Like, there's so many doors, you could just check the body somewhere and... No oh my move. god. <laughs> How many murders have happened in the library since we've been here? Probably, I mean, there's no way to know. <laughs> Hopefully zero. I'm just thinking of all the people that, like, Zen and company have probably seen and interacted with and never seen again. Tune into our library murder podcast to find out. Yeah, our true crime library. Oh, actually, that'd be kind of a fun, like... Anyway, so so Rill is probably not used to using their, their wings. And it's not like they're going to be flapping around the library or anything like that. But they are probably just like, you know, like how a bat just dangles from, from the ceiling or something. That's just what they're doing. They're just reading their kind of theoretical astrophysics multiverse shit books with like just hanging upside down. Just vibing. What are Rill's wings like? Are they like bat wings or are they like fluffy? Ooh, no, I'd say they're more like bat wings. They're kind of like a more... More traditional. Yeah, like, you know, like a tiefling, they're kind of like demonic in theme. And, and that's not really like in their world. That's not like the connotation with tieflings from their world. But kind of stylistically in my mind, for some reason, I also attribute tiefling features to certain parts of it to almost be like draconic. I don't know where I got that from, but just like I think of like their tail, you know, tiefling tails, whenever I make like a tiefling oc like their tails are more like leathery or there's a lot of like media where like dragons and devils kind of share the same like symbolism and mm -hmm. 
So that's not just a you thing. Okay. It's like chimpanzees and humans have a common ancestor. I think probably dragons and demons have a common ancestor like <laughs> way back. Oh, maybe I'm like, we're like super distantly related Zen. Uh, no, but like, you know, I, I imagine like their tail is more like a lot of tiefling tails I will see are kind of like that thin devil tail with like the point at the end. Whereas Rill's tail is more of like a thicker lizard-esque tail and the texture is more like a leathery or uh, maybe not scaly and there might be kind of like spikes or something on it but yeah so their wings are probably more like leathery bat wings we're just playing furry bingo with rail yeah oh 100 percent ram horns <laughs> bat wings fangs they got like slitted reptile eyes do they have backwards knees honestly i considered it i'm pretty sure um no <laughs> they just have like human bingo <laughs> 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 no, they just have like human anatomy. Yeah, that was less a description of what Rill's been doing and more a description about Rill. But yeah, they're just hanging out. I think they're still just reading theoretical astrophysics books and whatever the Wikipedia equivalent is. Or like <laughs> theoretical astrophysics multiverse like for dummies or something like that. That's just kind of... And then playing video games and hanging out with Dumpling. All right, so it's just kind of like pretty standard stuff. You all are doing whatever you're doing, whether you're hanging out together or individually. Y'all have your library book on hand with you. And then you feel that thrum where it's like tugging at your attention. I suppose for Hope, this would be a new feeling since she hasn't been on assignment before and, and maybe wouldn't even entirely understand why she has this blank journal that she carries around with her. Is there any kind of like an orientation program? I mean, if nothing else, she would probably ask. Didn't Linda start an orientation program? She'd ask somebody about it regardless. Yes, yeah, Linda, did you orient Hope? <laughs> if Hope had come up to Linda and said, what's going on? Or like, what's the deal with the library? Linda would definitely have uh, given Hope like the tour and the, the intro spiel. But trying to track down every person in the library who's new would be like a completely impossible task. She probably would have asked after a book club, especially if Linda seems like the kind of person who does organizing. Hope would have gone like, mm, this seems like somebody who knows what's going on. Then yes. Now that you've been orientating by uh, Linda, you know what this journal is for, but for however long you've been here, you've not been called to assignment yet. So you don't 100% know how this works until you also feel that thrum of it calling to your attention. It's more something within your spirit. And then when you pay attention to it, the book flips open. And there were never words or drawings or anything in it before when you flipped through it. But now kind of magically in, in your handwriting, Hope, there is an objective listed as well as a drawing. So the words say contact Aurelia Samaria. And the drawing is a detailed drawing of a young bipedal unicorn humanoid and she is dressed in what looks to be some kind of like old-fashioned seafaring outfit, like almost kind of like a pirate coat. It's just kind of like a regal-esque looking uniform that's very detailed, lots of fancy trimmings and whatnot. And the objective below that says, retrieve the lost regalia gem. What do you guys do? Linda opens it up and is like, whoa, interesting, because she only knows unicorns from like 80s My Little Ponies and stuff like that. But she, you know, dutifully tucks her journal under her arm and uh, breaks into her snack stash and makes her way on down to the book truck. 
And she kind of wants to see if she can beat Zen there so that she can maybe like try and weasel it out of her. What What is going on with Zen recently? Zen remembers the last time, how she was the last one there, and everyone was super weird about it. She doesn't consider that she was perhaps the one being super weird. But anyway, <laughs> she remembers that. And so this time, she basically like sprints down there to try and be the first one to kind of try and stave off any of that awkwardness from the last time. I think Rill, because they've been reading lots of books, they're actually already there. Not because they like got there first. It's just they were already there when their books started like vibrating. And so they're kind of just like sitting on just like an armchair, like a big, they're just sitting on it like upside down. Like their legs are, or feet are like propped on the top and Dumpling is just sitting on like their chest. <laughs> and then they see Zen coming down and just give her like a look. You can't quite tell what kind of look it is, but you know, there's some suspicion there because you seem to have exerted much effort to get here quickly. Zen does a double take because Rill is never here first. Linda comes trying to casually come up behind Zen, but she started power walking as soon as she saw Zen hustling. <laughs> Rill just looks at Zen and then kind of glances over at Linda when she's arrives and then looks back at Zen and is like, uh, where are you out on like a jog? Hmm, Zen? Hi, Zen. It's... <sighs> it's um it's so good to to see you what where have you been recently we missed you the other the other day of book club uh yeah um just out on a jog gotta stay fit you know uh-huh yeah sure uh yeah yeah being fit is very important yep not suspicious at all zen linda steps back to uh finish catching her breath it was quite a power walk hope's gonna take this opportunity and by that i mean this is just when she arrives to kind of poke her head in through the doorway and make sure she's in the right place and then jog on in uh and in direct contrast to linda she looks like she has never been out of breath in her entire life <laughs> Linda is jealous, but quietly so. She'll be polite. She likes hope. This is the jogging episode. <laughs> um, and she's going to survey everyone. Uh, has, has she seen Rill around anywhere? Has she spent any time with them or anything? Probably recently, like probably like the past month, month and a half. She's definitely seen them hanging out kind of literally in different parts of the library. Maybe in the past week, they've been hanging out in the book drop portion more. So Hope has definitely seen Rill. Okay. Well, Hope's generally kind of a quiet person by nature. She enjoys conversations, but she's also fine just like sitting in the same space. She would have introduced herself at the start and then finding out that Rill maybe preferred that kind of thing would have just kind of been like, okay, well, if we can hang out by just sort of being there and reading, then like, sure, I can do that. They would definitely be like reading buddies. And then that's kind of like the depth of their interaction, but it's like comfortable silence. So she's going to come in and, oh, I'm last. So Zen is going to take the opportunity or the distraction provided by Hope's entrance and go to Hope and slap her on the back all buddy-buddy. Like, hey, Hope, good to see you. Um, oh, hey, Zen. Why are you here? Uh, my book vibrated, which I will admit is something I didn't think I would say. Zen's feeling kind of wary herself because the last time they brought someone who wasn't part of the normal team on a mission, things got kind of weird. And so Zen looks back to Rill and Linda and is like, are we doing this again? Oh, it'll be fun. Hope's gonna come with us this time. Your first mission. But remember, dumpling. 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 Okay. 
All right. Linda would um, hand everyone their little goodie bags that she made them, including just a little extra in rails for dumpling, of course. And then I think she would probably turn and say, well, uh, who's anchoring? There's nothing in my book about this hot chick. A hot chick? Mine has a unicorn in it. Same. I've got a unicorn person and a name. Wait, you guys don't. Okay, I, I guess it's me. So Rill would earmark the book they were reading, set it to the side, and then open their journal. Oh, yeah, she's she's pretty. I, I can definitely see where Zen was coming with this. Do you have anything else that we should know about Rill? So I kind of got a little description of what the name of the world is. This place is called Crestoria. It's a magical land. How many limbs will I have? If there's unicorn people on this planet, I feel like you should be fine. That makes Hope look a little panicked. <laughs> <laughs> she leans over to Linda and goes, does that happen? Sometimes. It hasn't happened to me if that makes you feel better. Yeah, uh, so it looks like at least the part of Crystoria we're gonna be landing in, there's kind of like a monarchy or, or something, some kind of royal group or council called the Aro Lords. And it says something here that each Aro Lord, they possess a regalia gem, which I guess that has something to do with our objective. Um, I'm sure I'll get more later, but that's just a magic world, I guess. And there's animal people and magic gems. So I guess there's really nothing to it except swoop right in. Do you have anything we need to bring with us? Nope, there's nothing here about weapons or equipment or anything. Well then. Good luck, soldiers. Zen pats herself down and quietly mutters like, shit, I forgot my sword. Wait a second, what? Where were you when you didn't have- why don't you have a weapon with you, Zen? Well, where- where did you leave your sword, Zen? Maybe one of us can- Zen hops into the book drop. (laughs) (laughs) Have- have fun, real. Linda waves goodbye at you and sort of leads hope by the shoulder, like a gentle guide. Are you ready? Here we go! The space wraps around you, and unlike other times, the change is gentle, at least for Zen and Linda. Hope this is kind of the first time you're doing this in this capacity, so it's a good first change for you, I think. It's not very jarring, where the molecular structure of your physical form is like drastically changed. It's just very gentle, it's just kind of a slight shiver that shimmies down your spine. Almost one of anticipation, nervousness, it kind of depends on how you specifically are feeling in the moment. It's like being dipped in in warm water that's rolling and splashing against you like a ship creaking underneath your feet. And then suddenly a shout slices right through your hazy thoughts. When you all open your eyes or your vision is restored, before you is a battle on what looks like a pirate ship, one that is being boarded by another ship. And that's where we'll pick up next time on the Eternity Archives. Heidi ho there, teenagers. Except, I don't say that anymore. No, now I greet you like a normal human being, because now we're changing up the format. Instead of spending each episode with Ark, Sam, Jack, and Eden, here on The Game is Afoot, 
we're going to spend each episode with a new player and a new character. The first episode of every month is going to be a game between myself, Ryan, and the new player. Mads, my love. (laughs) I'm back, baby. (laughs) Back for more. And I use they, them, or if you would like, he, him. So my name is Zoe. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. That release is on the first Sunday of every month. And then the second episode is going to be an interview with that person. I will say the first thing that I knew was that I wanted to play a ranger. To anyone. (laughs) is amazing but it it's not something i've witnessed before why am i getting emotional oh why am i crying it's okay (laughs) i know releasing on the third sunday of every month stick around for the rest of your show and i hope we see you soon bye The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Sipa. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Eternity Archives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.